Hey there, all you ghouls and goblins. Radio 85.9 proudly presents Horror Zoid with your hosts, Stevie Scares and Natalie Nightmare. Talking all things horror from the 80s, 90s, and today. Today's episode is brought to you by Mummy Brand Burn Cream. The only thing that would make it more soothing is if Brandon Fraser applied it himself. Welcome back, everyone, to Horrorzoid. My name is Stevie Scares. And I'm Natalie Nightmare. Thank you for joining us once again. Today's episode is going to be a little less formal than it's been in the past. We're not really going to talk about the origins of this genre. We're really just going to get into what we like. Because, honestly, if you trace the origins back on this, you could probably go all the way back to the very beginning to, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Haxon and all that and Mm -hmm. find elements of this genre. And, of course, we're talking slow burn horror movies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, slow burn horror movies. If you're curious as to what that is, it's the kind of movie that... A lot of the action takes place in the final act of the movie, whether it's you know the last 15 minutes, last 30 minutes. A lot of the end portion of the film is where a majority of your action sequences take place with the rest of the film focusing on plot and story, building that sense of dread, that discomfort, that unsettling feeling that you get from these creepy-ass movies. So that's what we're talking today, and we've got quite a few to get into that we'll kind of just touch upon and let you know what our thoughts are on them. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this episode. I feel like it can be uh, some of the ones on this list are pretty divisive within the horror community. And uh, when we sat down to kind of jot down some ideas, uh, once we started talking about it, the movies just started to pile up. So uh, we have a lot to kind of go through if we want to and probably are going to hear a lot in the comments about uh, ones we've missed. Right, yeah, so we're not going to get to every one of them by any no. means, but uh, we're just going to talk about some of the ones that we really like, because we noticed this genre, you know, we've talked about slashers and vampires and final girls and scream queens, so a lot of genres that bring a lot of excitement, and usually from start to finish, they're kind of this, almost there's this thrilling element to them, whereas, you know, these, uh, these slow burn horror movies, again, they're a little slower paced, they're a little, they take their time. Um, and I think that's probably, you mentioned they're very divisive. You know, I mm-hmm. use the word polarizing a lot of yeah. the time. People have heard me use that term before. And they really are, it's not everyone's cup of tea. No. Some people do like that faster pace, the slashers, the chasing, the, you know, in your face, uh, demonstrative action type movies. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, we like those too, as we've talked about in the past, but we kind of wanted to shift gears and talk about this a little bit and why. We like something that is really on the opposite end of the spectrum of other things that we've talked about as far as that, that would interest us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think I'm going to kick right into it just to uh, piggyback off of the last episode where we were talking about one of our favorite final girls um, with It Follows. It is a slow paced movie. And there's startling scenes, and ultimately you kind of get this more explosive ending. And those are the kind of movies that we're going to talk about, and I feel like that's just kind of a good way to shoo it into this new episode here. No, that's a great example, and we'll get to more examples here as we move along. But It Follows, I've said it last week, I'm pretty sure. It Follows, in my opinion, is the best film made in the last 10 years, best horror film made in the last 10 years. I don't think anything really compares to it. I think it has... 
uh, atmosphere, mood, the score is beautiful in creating that. I think you get a wonderful leading performance by by Maika Monroe <laughs> and uh, other supporting actors in the film. But it really harkens back to some older horror movies as well. It kind of pays homage to, you know, um, I always think of the the stalking scenes with the entity. They always remind me of Halloween mm-hmm. and Michael Myers. For sure, yeah. The score reminds me. It's very John Carpenter. Ugh, the score is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you're talking about the stalking and you get this... You know, everyone jokes about the the monster that just walks slow at you, and that's what the creature or this entity in It Follows does. You never see it run. You see it crawl through a doorway or this or that. But even the scene with the most harmless-looking thing, that old lady walking across the college campus, all she's oh. doing is walking. It is the most, it's the creepiest scene I've ever seen. I don't yeah. like it. Oh, she is <laughs> so freaky. unsettling. It's super unsettling. So it really only ever travels as fast as its host is. So obviously when it's uh, the, the tall man uh, played by Mike Lanier, you know, obviously he's going to probably move faster. He's like seven feet fucking tall. Big strides. Right. But then there's like the little kid and the old man and old lady and the young girl. You know, they're all going to just move as fast as their host is. Right. But they still move slow. But there's something so terrifying about it. I kind of want to backtrack here because we've been talking about certain aspects of the movie. And if you don't know, so basically It Follows, 2014 film directed by David Robert Mitchell. Genius job. Uh, the plot of the movie is a uh, girl, uh, no other way to say it, she gets a sexually transmitted curse demon entity that follows her, mm-hmm. and the only way to get rid of it is to then have sex with somebody and pass that demon curse entity thing on to the next person. So you find out, You, I mean, obviously right away you can already tell this is a giant metaphor for sexually transmitted diseases, mm-hmm. and David Robert Mitchell has gone on record as saying it is a metaphor for that and kind of the stigma that is related to sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, STIs, and things of that nature by representing it through this giant metaphor, this brilliant and beautiful metaphor where a sexually transmitted disease is now a killer entity um, Harkening back to slasher movies. It's yeah. the big bad chasing you throughout mm-hmm. the whole film. So it's terrific concept taking this wonderful new age metaphor and bringing it, uh, bridging it with the old school horror tropes of slashers. It's uh, it's not a slasher really when you get down to it. There's not a lot of cuts and blood as we've talked about. But it does have that sla- those slasher vibes where you're stalked, you're chased, you are on the run from something that mm-hmm. if it gets you, it will kill you. Exactly. So that is uh, that's kind of what we've been talking about with these entities and these shapes and these figures. It can take on any form, really. And when it does, uh, you have to figure it out and get away from it. Or if you don't, as we see in the film at one point, uh, you will get got, as yes. the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's either going to be like extremely um, leg-breaking in the wrong direction crazy or just this kind of weird energy-draining way. Um, but it's right. It doesn't kill in the same way either, no. which is brilliant about it. But again, as we talked about, this is a slow burn horror movie because mm-hmm. a lot of the movie is taught. Like we said, it's not a slasher. There's not a lot of cuts and blood. A lot of the story is told through, you know, these 
uh, almost v this vignette style where they are trying to find out more information about this entity. They're going and finding resources, and then they they once they realize what it is and where it comes from, they are on the run, yeah. and and basically just backing up and backing up and backing up until the main character finally gives in and decides to pass this sexually transmitted curse on to somebody else. And that's really in that final act when she makes that decision, that is when a majority of the quote action takes place. And mm -hmm. we start to see a little bit more of a gruesome nature of the, the entity and, and it's stalking. Um, and we get to see that brilliant pool scene. If you haven't oh, yeah. seen the pool scene and Phenomenal. it follows, it is absolutely just uh it's breathtaking the way they're able to make you feel a sense of dread and uh just uh just terror i mean really? it is a, it is a yeah. terrifying scene when you think about what that what jay the main character goes through in that scene mm -hmm. i think the whole movie is really does a fantastic job of making you feel uncomfortable and unsafe because half the settings are uh the living room a right. car, a park, like these simple little things, a movie theater, and, you know, a beach house. And all these places should be comfortable or safe, and they're not. Nothing is, is safe. I love that movie. you point that out, because that is a big part of the movie that mm -hmm. people don't talk about a lot in the analysis. Is It is uh, a lot of what the film does is it creates horror in settings and in places that you wouldn't think would be terrifying or horrific you know mm -hmm. like you said there's one of my favorite scenes is in the very beginning of the movie jay goes on the date with the guy who at the time is the only one who's infected with this curse mm -hmm. and they're in a restaurant and you can't hear anything except the brilliant score of the movie done mm -hmm. by disaster piece and but you see something in the distance just walking and it's so early in the film you don't know if it's you don't know why yeah. we're so why we need to focus on this you don't know why the camera's there you don't know why David Robert Mitchell decided to show this but at the same time you do know that you're supposed to feel scared yeah it's a very good um first of many scenes where you really are just scanning the background wondering yep. if it's this entity or not yeah David Robert Mitchell plays with the periphery so well and we could talk about It Follows for right. a <laughs> long time. As you've noticed with us, we can go on about certain things for a long time. But, but we're going to move on. this one I wanted to give a little yeah, extra love yeah. to because it's something that's really special to us. And I don't see it. It is very special. I, the more I look at my list, I want to say, you know, a lot of people like It Follows. But there's a ton of people I see that don't like it. I feel like every movie I have on my list, like the one that I was kind of leading into talking about um feeling safe in a home was the strangers which is also a slow burn right. and i don't see a lot of people say that they don't like that it's mainly the shit sequel but looking at other movies the shining super divisive That's blair witch true. project super divisive i always feel like people love it or hate it the vavitch <laughs> the vavitch i think uh, a lot of these on here are just a love and hate kind of relationship and i tend to love them all right and i think that's another reason why we decided to pick slow burn horror movies as the genre we were going to kind of focus on today because yeah. it's it is very love it or hate it and I, i'm curious to get people's thoughts on this after we do mm -hmm. this and maybe revisit it in the future and do a part two and yeah. you know kind of a viewer feedback kind of thing or listener feedback but it you know I don't I don't know I really can't pinpoint a reason why people like them why they don't like them I enjoy story driven narrative driven mm -hmm. detail driven and detail oriented horror films and films in general I as a viewer want to be rewarded for the for paying attention to a movie 
And I think for people like me who enjoy that 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 satisfying feeling of a reward at the end of the the rainbow, I think slow burn horror movies are, are what we are looking for. Right. And I think if you're one of those people that just wants to sit down and shut your brain off, these aren't the kind of movies that mm-hmm. you're gonna that you're gonna seek out. And maybe that's what it boils down to. Right. And there's definitely times that I'm not in the mood for some of these movies. Now, some of them I think we personally have just watched them so much they've become comfort movies. It follows alone just having on in the background with the music as a comfort movie. Uh, the Shining, we just, again, we watch it so much to us, it's a comfort movie. But if, you know, you're sitting down to watch these for the first time, they're definitely not a shut-your-brain-off kind of movie. So, yeah, there's times I may not be in a mood to try to pick one of these movies to watch. But ultimately, I agree. I, I, I like that you point out the reward at the end because they usually are explosive at the end. So all of the tension or the mystery that you get through the movie you get that payoff in the end and i love that right and it's funny that we use it follows as our first example because ultimately it's one of the movies where you don't really get a payoff <laughs> not right. to spoil anything I mean, but you really don't get a satisfying you ending do and you don't and yeah. there's a lot of speculation yeah but uh, uh kind of uh, moving on to other examples um i kind of want to focus on i want to i want to bring attention to the fact that if you're looking for a kind of general example kind of a painting with a broad brush here um what slow burn horror movies are look no further than a24 a24 is a film distributor and you see their logo pop up on a ton of horror movies you're going to see a lot of people on horror talk and on social media and on youtube Mm -hmm. talk about these movies because a24 is just a very hot button issue right now Mm -hmm. not issue but it's a it's very, it's, uh, it's a, a very, it's a buzz topic. I it think. is. It's a popular uh, studio right now. Right. But their movies are the perfect example of slow burn horror movies because a lot of them are, they are very dark, very mm-hmm. macabre, very quiet, very slowly paced. Uh, A24 movies are kind of the best example of your slow burn horror. Right. And the reason I bring them up is because I want to get into some of them and, the other one I think we need to mention right off the bat that's a favorite for both of us is uh, Hereditary from 2018, mm-hmm. the film directing debut of Ari Aster. Yes, that is a movie. <laughs> I love that it's it's the number one movie that I can think of that when we left the theater, we weren't really talking as we were walking out. We hit the doors, walking out to the parking lot, still not really saying much, and get in the car, and we were just kind of like, the fuck did we just watch i have to fucking talk about this and it's you know it was for us it was scary it was a great movie it was traumatizing to watch in a lot of ways Uh, but i loved the fact that we had probably a two-hour discussion about it after the fact it wasn't we've had so many discussions since then that was really fucking cool i loved all the slashing and hacking and it was just a fun kick-ass horror movie like when we leave after Halloween, not that that's bad, but I love having a discussion after a movie. Yeah, this one, and, and we've we've mentioned this on the podcast before. We've mentioned Tony Collette, Ari Aster, the mm-hmm. movie itself. It, it's one that I think people, if you've listened for the last few weeks, uh, you know this is one of our absolute favorite mm-hmm. films in the genre. Um, but yeah, you mentioned uh, just some of the just the fact the fact that it is one of the most thought provoking movies that mm-hmm. we have ever watched. 
And again, like I said, to this day, we still will sit there and have these in-depth discussions as to the meaning, as to some of the subtext that is hidden in the movie. Mm-hmm. And each the time I think we uncover something new each time we try mm-hmm. to delve into it and analyze it. Yeah, and I think, and this might just be something that's a personal fave for me, but I like it when a movie can make me uncomfortable in all the right ways. And this movie, the way a horror movie should make you uncomfortable. Yes. I think that's another reason why I love this movie is because yes. it is it checks all the boxes as it to does. why we love horror movies. It does because you get this uh, dark mysteriousness. You get the uncomfortable dinner table scene, which is very based in reality. Um, yeah, it, it didn't feel like a horror movie during that dinner no. table scene. It felt I mean, it, like it did, and a, it did. Uh, it felt like somebody put a camera in every suburban home in America. And just hit record because right. that was like it, it took, just felt like a very real fucked up family, right? It, that again, horror wasn't even on my mind during that scene. It was all no. just like, holy shit, this is a real family argument. Yeah, and it's again, you know, going back to what I said, it just made you uncomfortable in the right ways because the performances alone just make that scene the absolute perfection that it is. But everything leading up to that scene, because my most uncomfortable scene is just the silence that you get as he drives home, he walks upstairs, he lays down, wakes up to screaming, and that whole scene, just the way it continues, it just even talking about it gives me goosebumps because right. it's so brilliantly done without even showing you anything right other than his face and that is another element of slow burn horror movies a lot of your gruesome scenes aren't necessarily going to be shown in great detail you're going to more focus Mm -hmm. on the performance of the actors uh, uh, kind of in the nebulous of the action around the action the story is told around the action it's not focused on the action and hereditary is the perfect example of that and what we're talking about, I'll just get into specifics of it. If you haven't seen it, sorry, but you're about to fucking hear about it. <laughs> I think but, everyone probably knows yeah, the most yeah. important scene in this movie. Well, and it's but point. that's the thing. It's like you go. It's it's like halfway through the film at this point, mm-hmm. and you are you know this is your so again you're halfway through the film by this point, and you you get this one moment of great action, and then you don't really get anything to the last ten minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But that pivotal scene where. You know, the uh, the sister, Charlie, is decapitated by a telephone pole. Uh, that is the central fucking moment of the movie. Yeah. But again, after that, it goes back to being this incredibly slowly paced fucking movie. It's like, how yeah. do you just slow down after a decapitation? Only Ari Aster right. is, is capable of, of that kind of transition, that kind of pendulum swinging uh, you know, narrative that you see here with, with Hereditary. See, and you say that, and it starts to make me think of some of the other movies where um, it's almost like they, they give you a little bite. Like, hey, look at this really extreme thing. Like, I've never seen a scene where someone's leaning out the window and get decapitated, let alone the brother drive home with said body, headless body in the backseat. Right. So it was already jarring. But even going back to The Witch, there's a scene where literally... She, like, steals a baby and grinds it up and rubs its blood on her body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then it just chills out until mostly to the end of the movie again. Yeah. Where people start biting the dust. Right. And then you mentioned the great transition, The Witch. The Witch is one that I I see a lot of people love or hate, but I I enjoyed it. And and Mm -hmm. I'll admit, it's one of the... 
It is a horror movie where not a lot of action happens, period. Mm -hmm. Even when you get to the end of the movie, the action is very, very, very brief. It's very dialogue heavy. It's dialogue heavy. It's a terrific story. It relies on the acting. It relies on the atmosphere. It relies on environment. And it makes sense. The atmosphere in that movie alone. I mean, just the dad's voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything about the way that movie feels is just fantastic to me. I agreed 100%. I think it, it, it did. It, Robert Eggers, the director of the movie, this 2014 film, Robert Eggers directed it. And he before he was a film director, he was a set designer for a movie. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that when you look at his films like The Witch and The Lighthouse, you know, and The Northman, these films are very heavy on the way they look. The yeah. look and the feel are just as important as anything else in the film. But then mm-hmm. with The Witch... You know, you would expect something that is so accurate, you know, time-wise and, and atmospherically, you would almost expect the acting to be subpar because you spent so much time getting the set right. And right. that's not the case. It's not at all. The acting is, it matches the set and scenery tenfold. Yeah. You know, you talk about, we've, we've talked about her last week on Scream Queens and Final Girls, Anya Taylor-Joy mm-hmm. does... The performance of a lifetime, and she was so so young at this point. But well, to I, deliver such a raw yeah. performance is just it, 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 beyond impressive. Right, and you know, I I started to get excited there thinking about it because everybody, you know, it it kind of threw me off a little bit when I put it in because I feel like we are programmed to watch these period movies where everyone for some reason in England has an American accent, right? Um, well, or, this is New England. This is right, America, you know? Right, but you know, you you expect no matter what the time frame, it's just going to sound like a normal movie. But they, the, even the way they talk is, you know, perfect for the time. And it almost throws you off because we don't talk like that anymore and you kind of have to like deprogram your mind to understand the dialect you know what i mean oh 100 it is it is a movie that doesn't feel like it's one of the first few movies that feels like they just again like i said earlier it's with hereditary like they just took a camera and put it in every suburban home in america this feels like they time traveled and filmed something very real not that any right. of us know what it would be like obviously legitimately but it, it it really like when you picture it in your head this is a great translation of that and i think that's mm-hmm. robert egger's biggest strength you know when you describe what the witch is about and you have something in your head about what it would be about this is it mm-hmm. like like he's able to translate that from his brain to the screen better than any director i've seen in, in a long time right exactly the visuals uh, alone may you know prove that he is a he, he's a brilliant brilliant mind for for horror exactly no that's that's a perfect way of saying it yeah and uh you know talking about some other great slow burn horror movies uh one that we watched uh earlier this year is uh saint maud oh saint maud is is one that i feel like we need to talk about because it is recent Mm -hmm. uh but it kind of i don't want to say it flew under the radar i thought it would get more love than it has but it's kind of it kind of died out like it came out People seemed excited about it, but it just ultimately didn't really go anywhere. See, and you say that, but I feel like I, I've seen a fair amount of people talk about it, and everyone has nothing but amazing things to say. Um, it's definitely a movie that is really up there around The Witch with me because I love the 
religious imagery in both of those movies. Right. Um, but St. Maud kind of ticks it up a level, I think. Yes, St. Maud uh, definitely does kick it up a notch. Um, it is it is very much a religious trauma movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Morpheus Clark, uh, the lead actress in it, deserves all the praise, really, because she... Yeah. Uh, it's a one-woman show in a lot of ways. You know, you do have a, a terrific supporting cast, but their screen time alone pales in comparison to what, uh, you know she's able to to bring to the film. She uh she carries everything and she's an absolute heavyweight with the the way she portrays Maud as this flawed character that you shouldn't empathize with because she is obviously unhinged. Mm-hmm. She is very uh out of out of our reality. She's in her own reality, just out of our reality. <laughs> right, um, but she starts as this very likable kind of mousy typical quiet almost I hate to say it because it sounds misogynistic, but like well-behaved. Right, right. She is she is the quintessential well-behaved, religious, quiet, you know, meek woman. You know, she is like a adult healthcare kind of. You know, it's almost like you expect her to be that way a little bit. She's just this quiet home nurse that comes in and and does what she does, but then it just turns into something wild as the movie goes along. Yeah, it's uh, again the the movie for those of you who don't know. Uh, uh, Maud is the main character and she, uh, we, we get an, we get an, uh, a little bit of a backstory in the sense that she went through something traumatic in her previous job and has chosen to then become a, uh, in-home healthcare worker. And she is then put in the stead of a very rich, uh, uh, old woman who was an entertainer years and years ago, but mm-hmm. has since fallen on bad health and can't really live out her glory years but yet she, you know, has these elaborate parties and tries to take advantage of, you know, the few years she has left. But of course, Maud doesn't approve because it is very debaucherous. It's very, mm-hmm. uh, it's very lascivious, if I can use a, a, a not frequently <laughs> used word there. Um, and then, of course, we see Maud in the third act uh, go balls to the wall, as we see with these slow burn horror movies. That third act, she just right. kicks into high gear. Talking to Satan through a cockroach. That's, Talking to Satan through a cockroach. Uh, going on a bender, throwing all of her religious beliefs to the wind, and then ultimately climaxing in this, uh, almost like she's trying to restore her faith, but Blaze really it's, glory. it is it's just saying. the most insane ending I've ever seen in my life. And yeah. that's the, really the most we can say about it in a nutshell, but it's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to spoil every no, single but, one of these No, but you, like... But kind of what what I do want to say, you know, before moving on to another film is just the fact that it is another one of those movies where you watch it and up until those last 30 minutes you're getting a completely different movie. Yeah. And to go on the tail end of that, another uh, movie that we actually saw right before the pandemic, um another movie where you get somebody who went through religious trauma and ultimately goes completely fucking unhinged the lodge i i love the lodge and i'm glad we're mentioning it it's one i've wanted to talk about um a lot um one again you know we're talking about these slow burn horror movies and we keep mentioning lead actresses you know we've mentioned mike monroe tony collette morpheus clark and now we're going to talk about riley kyo uh and of course we talked about anya taylor joy earlier but riley kyo is um one of the 
really biggest up and comers, not just in horror, but in a lot of movies lately. She's really branched out and done different things, comedies, dramas, mm-hmm. action movies. Um, daughter of Lisa Marie Presley, granddaughter of Elvis Presley. So huge pedigree there to live up to. And, uh, but yeah, no, uh, Riley does this amazing job of demonstrating somebody who grew up in a cult, but is now trying to adjust to normal life. But she's got some really tough circumstances as she is, uh, dating an older man who has these children and the children and her don't really get along yet. They they don't want a second mother. They they, don't, their mother passes away. It's not a huge spoiler for the movie. Uh, so they're very reluctant to let another woman become a motherly figure to them. Right. Um, this is also, I'm just going to put this out there, a movie you have to add on your annual horror Christmas movie watch list because it does take place for Christmas. Um, is it or, Christmas? It's, it's yeah. a winter horror movie. No, no, it's Christmas. It was, is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're thinking of another one that we're going to get to. Which okay. Is Black, <laughs> which is Black yeah. Coat's Daughter, which is actually like a spring break winter, but it's not Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there's a scene where they put up the Christmas decorations, but then they take it all down. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they end up going up to a lodge, hence the title. Uh, the dad goes into town. Big snowstorm comes in. Kids decide a way to kind of... Maybe piss her off enough to go away is to fuck with her by triggering her religious trauma from her cult days. Yeah. So, again, a lot of the movie is told you know, you're learning these stories about uh, her backstory as a member of the cult. You learn about the kids and their mom and the relationship. And it explores, again, it more explores the relationship and the dynamic between uh, Riley Keough's character and the two kids Mm -hmm. and you have, so it explores that relationship and her attempt to kind of salvage it and their attempts to break it. And ultimately it reaches a breaking point in the last few minutes of the movie. And boy, again, these movies, one thing I can't stress enough is that the payoff and the reward is so, so worth it. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, and again, if you're, you, you put in the time and you invest the time and you watch these movies, you are going to be rewarded with some incredible final closing moments that will leave you speechless. Very much so. Um, And if you're like me, uh, so I grew up in the church and uh, I am no longer part of the church or any religion. Uh, So some of these with the, the music that's in the lodge is almost a little triggering for me watching it. And but it doesn't make it bad for me at all. Um, I think it adds to, like, there's the scene with the really loud, booming hymn that's mm-hmm. playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it adds so much to the movie. Um, I will say there is a major trigger warning for unaliving in the first act of the movie. Uh, but past that. Uh, and the third act, too. Oh, yes. Too. And, yeah, and I mean, it's, there, it's, yeah, there's it's, a, there's some hardcore trigger warnings in there that I think religious trauma, mm-hmm. uh, un- uh, self-unaliving, things like those, if you are made uncomfortable by any of those, the lodge, right. we you, we really need to give you some hardcore trigger warnings there. Just like with It Follows, you know, if you there's some trigger warnings for sexual content. So it's right. so one thing we're going to be try, try to be mindful of as we go on with the podcast is try to let you know if you want to watch any of these movies, there are certain things that you need to keep in mind mm-hmm. before you walk in and decide to watch these. Because, you know, we appreciate and understand that there are things right. that some people will not be comfortable with. And a lot of these slow burn horror movies like to 
kind of uh, push the the envelope on a lot of those topics. Yeah, a hundred percent. I will say at least um, with it follows, it's not like there's um, blatant um, non-consensual. It's just there's a lot of content. Um, there's a it's a it's a heavily sexually yeah driven movie like nature. i like i said with with, with the you know the, the plot mm-hmm. but yeah and then again with the lodge um self-unaliving yeah. religious trauma um a lot of things like that will be very triggering and unsettling to uh to to people and mm-hmm. uh you know again we just want to make sure that we're stressing that in a lot of these uh these movies that we're suggesting yeah and talking about you know we don't want to don't you know, have if, yeah. you know as much graphic content mm-hmm. uh, i mean you know there's the scary imagery but there are a lot of um, I feel like with slow burns, there are a lot of very real uncomfortable scenes mm-hmm. that it's what makes them uncomfortable. Right. It tries to, like I said in the beginning, it tries to build that unsettling tension and that discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, part of that is by touching upon themes that are not, you know, pleasant and palatable and dig- easily digested by a lot of us. Right. Which moves me into one that we recently saw that for months and months and months, that's uh, all we saw online of people saying we needed to watch The Dark and the Wicked. Oh, um, The Dark and the Wicked. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, uh, you know, you touched upon The Strangers earlier, and it is also direct, The Dark and the Wicked, also directed by Brian Bertino. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful, slowly paced horror movie that, um, you know, it's 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 keeps you on the edge of your seat because you're just wondering what's going to come next because yeah. you get these small little bits and pieces of these strange events and these horrifying events. But again, it's not really, it's like breadcrumbs. And then mm-hmm. ultimately in the end, you're like, holy fucking shit balls, man. What do you know? What did I just watch? Wow, Whoa, shitballs. fuck man. Whoa. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's very much that kind of, it film. was a really cool movie. I, I liked the fact that it, it made me, it kept me guessing for most of the movie. Like, what mm-hmm. is this? Is it yep. paranormal? Yep. Is it demonic? Is this lady losing her mind? Is like, it is it real? You know, or right. you know, it's like because it's it's the the story paints the picture of two elderly parents who are helped by their two kids in their late thirties, early forties, who are mm-hmm. you know not doing well on their own. So it's just this dysfunctional family of these adult children and these senior elderly parents. And you know, like Natalie said, you can't really tell if this is something supernatural, paranormal. Or something where people are just in a shitty situation and they're just kind of depressed and losing their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dark and the wicked is also uh, another part of another subgenre that we're going to get to later, where it's folk horror. And yeah. folk horror, basically, all that constitutes folk horror is it just takes place in the middle of nowhere. It's one of those rural farm themed kind of horror movies. So if you like movies that take place in the, on a farm mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, and there's a lot of them at this point, yeah, this is one for you. And a lot of those uh, tend to fall on the slow burn. You know, I, I wrote down Paranormal Activity as being a slow burn, but even uh, with the newest release... Next of Kin, yeah. Next of Kin, it is uh, folk horror it is, in itself yeah. as well by being on a farm in the middle of nowhere with a lot of weird, creepy shit happening. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be slow and creepy when you're literally surrounded by nothing i right. think is the ultimate yeah. message there and that's why the that setting mm-hmm. full core and slow burn kind of go hand in hand with mm-hmm. a lot of these but uh yeah like you said dark and the wicked uh tremendous and uh and yeah i don't think you can underestimate that at all no not at all um i'm looking at my list here thinking 
the next one I want to talk about, you know, I mentioned paranormal activity and um, obviously it's got a shit ton of movies at this point. And mm-hmm. I think most of them you could consider slow burn. I think I think know, it was it became a staple of the the film series where it was, you know, it really kind of teased you in the early going mm-hmm. and then that last act it really hit it you know, really sealed the deal and hit hit everything home. Yeah, and it it continues through the main parts of the movie as most of these slow burns do where uh, it leaves you in your own mind wondering what most of it is. Um, honestly, the first Paranormal Activity movie um, absolutely fucking terrified me the first time I went to see it in theaters. You know, you can hear every single thing and the deafening silence that is most of that movie. And well, then, because everybody in a theater is thinking oh, the same thing. They're right. like, something's around the corner, something's around the corner, something's going to get yeah. somebody. And it's like, and, and with the Paranormal Activity movies, a lot of the times you're not rewarded with something being around the corner, yet each and every single fucking time we sit there quiet, sitting on our hands, waiting for something to pop yeah. up, and it never fucking does. Right. Until you know, the end. And you get you get those first few nights where it's like, uh, camera panning, camera, you know, you see the little timer going and going and going and nothing happens. They just wake up and you're like, every fucking paranormal okay. activity movie toys with my emotions like that. You're First right. First night's good. First oh, night's always there's, good. There's a always. little, there's a little, you know, maybe something, there's a noise, but the curtain blue. Oh, you know, you get air, air drafts and things and you kind of, you feel like you can be like, oh, that wasn't really anything. And then, you know, second night there's, you know, a second door night is moving. when when you're sitting there and you're looking at the person watching it with you. You're like that fucking door move, that fucking door move. Right. And you're like the person next to you is like the door didn't move, dipshit. And you're like, right. no, it fucking moved. I swear, <laughs> it's it, that's night two. Exactly. Uh, I feel like they all kind of have have that pattern. And then you know you get into the third night and they're you've always got someone's getting up, walking around the house in the middle of the night, or something's moving through the house in the middle of the night. The but, later movies, it was always kids. Kids were always oh up yeah. moving around. Kids, kids moving around in the middle of the night is always creepy. As Fuck somebody with kids. two of them, as somebody with two of these little <laughs> fucking things running around, I can tell you, if your kid is up running around in the middle of the night, you have a demon. Yeah. I don't I don't make the you rules. I just follow them. If your kid's up in the middle of the night running around, it is scientific fact. Uh, you have a demon. You have a demon. Yeah. And uh, that's what the paranormal activity movies are. We literally just sum them up. And then at the mm-hmm. end of the movie, you're like, oh, fucking demons. Yeah, fucking demons. It's always fucking demons. You know, so uh, I think they have had a, a bit of diminishing return for a while because yeah. they were just uh, the same recipe with, the, you know, slightly different characters. But the technology got better each time. It was yeah. like, remember the fourth one? It's like, you know, the Xbox Connect? That's really fucking cool. See, Can we involve that in a paranormal activity yeah. movie? And no matter how, you know, there's movies definitely that are weaker in the franchise than others, but that's something that I absolutely loved, that depending on when it was set, you either had the big VHS tapes, you mm-hmm. had home video, uh, you, well, had, in the uh, sixth you movie, had a cam. The sixth movie, you have the camera that apparently can see into other dimensions. That one was... I. That was on the bottom of my I fucking, list. But. I fucking hate Ghost Dimension. <laughs> if you know anything about me, if you're going to learn anything about me on this fucking podcast, we don't I hate like Ghost, Ghost Dimension. Dimension. Ghost Dimension can go live in the Ghost Dimension and fuck right off. It, uh, it definitely had some really cool scenes in it. And even with that movie, aside from the stupid uh, Ghostbusters camera, there were other things in the movie that were like triggered 
by the entity, uh, mm-hmm. whether it were like Christmas lights and things like that. So uh, even in that movie, they, they tried to do something new. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, with Next of Kin, they just came back to, you know, big old recording camcorders. Right. There's a few flaws with the way the film is filmed, to be honest with you. Yeah, but there's definitely at the end some of the moments day, that aren't, yeah. aren't found footage. I don't think that they had drones right. uh, yeah. shooting their, their car from above. But, you know... With those things set aside, for the most part, it is still together, and you have a really good, creepy setting and a really cool backstory. Yeah, the story, up. the story of Next of Kin more than makes up for anything else because I like where they went with it. I like that they took it folk horror um, and play with that. You know, they they really use that formula well, and the ending is something that I never would have seen coming. And they they really just mm-hmm. again they took that slow burn style and the pacing of those earlier movies, and they kept true to that and at the but at the same time created something new and uh i'm really excited to see where it goes in the future here i think it's got a, it's a lot of potential for a franchise that we thought otherwise may have been kind of dead in the water a hundred percent now one that you mentioned earlier that i want to go back to and talk mm-hmm. about because it's one of our favorite directors lately is sure. black coat's daughter Hell yeah. and if you do happen to listen to us internationally i don't know how far our reach is right now but i know this movie was also under a different title i think it was just called february um, internationally, but here in the States, it was oh, called the black coats daughter and it's directed by Osgood Perkins, AKA Oz Perkins. For oh, those yeah. of you who think that name sounds familiar, he is the son of Anthony Perkins who played Norman Bates in my favorite movie of all time, psycho. So long history there, long pedigree, but black coats daughter, uh, directed by Oz Perkins and stars Kiernan Shipka, who of course plays Sabrina in, uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina on Netflix and also stars Emma Roberts who is, uh, of course, American Horror Story, Scream 4, um, a beautiful, beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most confusing horror movies I've ever seen, <laughs> but but I say it's confusing, but Oz Perkins really ties it together in such a way where like everything makes perfect sense at the end. And, yeah. it's, and when you finally do bring everything together, you realize how truly sad and just depressing and macabre this movie is oh yeah be you know it is also just... another a24 movie is it a24 yeah oh i, I didn't i didn't know it was it. part look i uh, at this point i just <laughs> i should just fucking assume a24 does every slow horror movie ever i was i was actually pulling it up because i was having a uh, a hard time remembering some of the names for the cast yeah. and uh saw distributed by a24 so there you that's go. cool um, but it is uh, a hella slow burn with some mm-hmm. really bizarre payoffs, including like a bunch of dead nuns. Um, Look, but... you had me at bunch of dead nuns. <laughs> I I'm uh, on board. Are you on board? Dark satanic entities. Yeah. And um, honestly, very very chilling performance by Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts. Um, although I enjoyed her, I thought she was fine in Scream mm-hmm. Four. I thought she was fine. In American Horror Story, when I watched this, it was the first movie I thought, "Damn, that girl has some acting ability." I no agree. disrespect to her. No, no, no. I just think all. it's probably her best performance as a from a range standpoint. I think that there are there are roles that she's done in different things that almost feel like it's the same character. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's been characters that she's done in American Horror Story that I've liked more than other seasons of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. But this one, it just there's something about how quiet she is through most of the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, um, most of the cast. But there's... It's just eerie. The the whole movie feels eerie and weird and confusing and bizarre. Like, you feel like it shouldn't be happening. 
um, it almost kind of feels like you don't even know what like time frame it is. I think that's it's just all around bizarre. I, I do. I, I enjoy that because it feels like it's uh, disjointed, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. It really isn't. It's no. like at the like if you watch it, like it all I, comes I, like, together. I'll be, I'll be curious well. to see what other people think. But I remember when I watched it, I was like you said, I was having a hard time getting the timing of it. Like when is when are these scenes taking place? When are these other scenes taking place? And when you realize what the time frame truly is of the movie, you suddenly are you just have this giant holy shit jaw dropping moment where it all comes together and the final piece of the puzzle goes into place and you're like what what the hell how did how did these two how did all these stories relate and yeah. it's just it, it's a wonderful wonderfully done very it's masterfully done yet another religious weird movie right because <laughs> it takes place because a lot of the story it's takes like a, place in a catholic religious like kind of prep school, school prep yeah. school yeah yeah um and and you, you know you'll see that is uh it's subtle but there's some religious undertones to it well and some of it's not so subtle. some of it's not so subtle some lucy boynton's is, but... character has some not right. so subtle run-ins with the religious <laughs> aspects of it exactly and, um, and going into religious aspects i want to talk about one that i've talked with a few people on tiktok recently and is a movie that you actually showed me, House of the Devil. House of the Devil, yes. Um, directed by Ty West. We've kind of talked about Ty, Ty West a little bit, but not too much. Ty West is one of my all-time favorite directors, and he only came around in like the last 15 or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has done that slow burn style better than, than most people have done in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and House of the Devil... Um, is one of his earlier works, and it's a proof positive that he understands how to do a good slow burn horror movie. Yeah, 100%. And honestly, I think you could even say X is a slow burn. I, I remember we were we were kind of outlining this episode, and I mentioned X as a potential slow burn horror movie, but I think it kind of walks a line where it merges it the slasher genre mm-hmm. with slow burn horror to 100%. where you, like, I lean more towards a slasher, but at the same time, right. I can't rule out some of the pacing you can see Ty West's inspiration and his history as a director of these very methodical slow burn horror movies. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because, you know, X, obviously, if you've seen it, it is a a slasher genre, um, but it does. It kind of has that odd pacing through it and a lot of what the fuck is going on. Yeah, Ty West does that very well, too, because with The House of the Devil, uh, 2009 uh, release, it focuses on... Uh, our main character who is uh, looking for some money because she's trying to move out uh, into a place of her own. And in order to get that money, she accepts a babysitting job until she gets there and realizes she's not babysitting as so much as she's old people sitting. <laughs> and um, when, you know, as, as the story unfolds and she realizes that uh, what she's been told about her job that night isn't exactly what's going on. And, uh, once uh, once she re- realizes what ab- what what is actually happening, she is on a roller coaster of a ride, and so are you as uh, somebody who's watching it. But yeah. uh, some of my favorite parts of this slow burn movie with House of the Devil are really just where she's just kind of farting around the house. Mm-hmm. You know, she's doing her homework because she's in college, getting pizza, getting like, pizza, watching TV, yeah. and uh, the other uh, and and just kind of bebopping to music, which fantastic soundtrack to be honest with mm-hmm. you. But uh, another example of you get some, you get like one or two jarring f- shots in the beginning of the movie, oh, yeah. and then you just kind of get nothing, and mm-hmm. then the film climaxes, and you're just like, 
you're you're just kind of like you just have like this wind blown through your hair kind of expression like <laughs> oh that happened to me yeah i i was i was on a ride something happened to me and uh, now the movie's over absolutely no that's that's a, a pretty good way of putting it honestly <laughs> for that one especially um i want to talk about one of my favorites and a really good you go girl movie midsummer oh yeah so uh, kind of coming full circle here uh, Ari Aster, who we talked about earlier, who directed Hereditary, mm-hmm. his second and only other film to be released at this point as the recording of this episode is Midsummer, which is a uh, came out in 2019 mm-hmm. and uh, stars Florence Pugh, who has taken over the world lately, Yeah, uh, is everyone's sweetheart. But uh, this is kind of really where she got thrust into the public eye because she did this really brilliant movie um that focuses on a a woman who is in a just a shitty toxic relationship um she's about her boyfriend's about to break up with her mm-hmm. and then her family dies which that scene alone fucking jarring yep and instead of breaking up with her he decides to take her on a trip to europe to kind of salvage the relationship and maybe uh you know make her feel better after the death of her family yeah so while they're there, they real they slowly start to realize that this uh, European friend they're in college with just brought them to a festival for a uh, cult. Yay, cults! <laughs> yeah, a cult in the like Swiss Alps. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's like that kind of setting of the Swiss Alpsy yeah, kind of so thing. I, it looks I, like a Ricola commercial <laughs> uh, if it was directed by Ari Aster. Yes, yes, their their friend is. Um... Uh, a Swedish guy. And the thing that I like about it is the actor that plays him is actually Swedish. Yes. Um, It's an authentic, the casting is brilliant and they do a terrific job with, um, with the, 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 the cast selection and the roles here, even down to the Mm -hmm. minor roles of like the, the actors who play the annoying couple that is also along for the ride to kind of provide some of that exposition. Yes. You're like, these guys suck. And then you realize, like, it's just a really good performance. That's why I think they suck. And I think that if I can look at somebody and be like, I fucking hate you because I know people like you and I fucking hate people that are like you that I know, <laughs> right. then you're a great actor, in my opinion. I don't know who they are, but they uh, they won me over by how they uh, made me hate them. No, uh, I think 100% you got that. <laughs> <laughs> but Midsummer is, is great because you get these small little bursts of these scenes that really will damage your psyche. Especially um, the start. In the Jesus st- it's, that's the funny thing. I still consider it, consider it a slow burn, but that's probably because it is one of the longer movies on our list. Right. It clocks in at a little over, what, two and a half hours, I want to say. Yeah. So it's a long it's a long movie. And so these short little bursts that you get, although they are very impactful, you go with these long gaps between these impactful scenes. So again, the story can unfold the Mm -hmm. characters. You can learn about them, whether you like them, whether you dislike them, some of their quirks, some of their um, inconsistencies and just some of the things that are just generally wrong with them until you get to that third act and everything just ramps up in a way that you couldn't imagine. I know I say that about a lot of these slow burn horror movies, but that's the point. I was going to say, you know, we, we, kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but when we were talking about, um, you know, kind of what movies we wanted to discuss and what we liked for slow burns, you know, we discussed really what it is that makes a slow burn. And the biggest thing that me and you kind of came to is that you do have that explosive 
uh, finale for these yeah. movies. The, the it's payoff, almost, as you, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's almost like the slower the beginning, the bigger the payoff's going to be. Yeah. And it's like, and I hate to put it this way, but ultimately, if you're one of these producers of these films, it's mm-hmm. like if your buildup is good enough, your payoff, it doesn't matter if it's good or not because by the time you've got the audience hooked, you can deliver whatever ending you want. And I don't, you know, and it's like, it's almost like, at the end of it, like we're like, are you going? Are you going to reward us? Or are you just going to toy with us? Right. And I think that's part of the part of the appeal of these movies is it is kind of a gamble. You mm-hmm. know, I'm I'm investing my time, and I know it's you know it's like it. We're getting a slow burn, and you keep watching, keep watching. I was like, oh, the payoff better be good. Oh, this ending <laughs> better be good. And if it is, it's just like this cathartic release of like, holy. Wow, I'm glad I stayed for the end. And wow, I'm glad I made it to the end of that movie because it is such a terrific ending. And a lot of these that we're bringing up, we wouldn't bring them up if the endings weren't totally worth it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think one thing, too, that I really liked about Midsummer is, you know, <laughs> it kind of got Another a lot one with of... a trigger warning, too, by the way. Oh, oh God, absolutely. Um, it, it kind of got a lot of people talking about the actual festival, which is, you know, cult aside, is actually a real festival um, that's celebrated in Europe. And um, I love seeing that, you know, as a witch myself who does celebrate the solstices, uh, Midsummer kind of falls in that, even if I don't celebrate it the exact same way. But, you know, the scene when they're all dancing around the maypole, like... I remember doing that as a kid in church, which is really weird. Um, it just goes to show how Christians adopted a lot of those things. Um, but we had a little thing outside that we would kind of do that with like little ribbons. Um, and I've met and spoke to a lot of other people who've done the exact same thing uh, without realizing that it has a lot of pagan origins. I, I, I love that you bring that up too, because it is uh, something that I think gets glossed over is the 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 fact that it did get a lot of those pagan rituals so mm-hmm. factually correct if i yeah. remember right ari aster worked to get a lot of those details correct in the film it was mm-hmm. important to him to get those details right as much as it was to get the horror right yeah. and um he, he does beautifully on both he, he he's able to get uh these rituals you know whether they're real or inspired by real rituals or not with some of Mm -hmm. these cults that we've seen over the years, um, you get the sense of feeling like, wow, I could see, you know, we, we all know people who, uh, you know, attend religious services on a regular basis, whether that's you, whether that's somebody, you know, we all know somebody who attends religious services regularly, who Mm -hmm. follows religious rituals regularly. And I think this movie, it paints it in the, the the colors with the brush of a cult in the middle of the Swedish Alps. But mm-hmm. I think it's just one of those messages on how certain aspects of organized religion, it's a slippery slope. You know, one right. day you're peacefully chilling out in the middle of the woods taking drugs. Next thing you know, <laughs> you're killing somebody because they got to fucking 85 years old and it's like, right. uh, adios. Yeah. So, I, I think, yeah. I think what... You know, where you're going with it, where I'm going with it is, you know, we've talked about all these other other movies where there's these religious traumas, mm-hmm. whether it's Christianity or Catholicism. And in this one, you have something that you can literally get on Google and, you know, type in Swedish Midsummer and go there and celebrate this festival um, as part of a celebration of summer. Mm-hmm. 
um, and they do wear flower crowns and they do dance around maples. Yes, these and there are, are all of these yes, things. They are real as but real they, can get. But they're not a cult. Um, no, I'm no, sure it's, it's there are definitely no. it's another aspect of religion changing it into one though, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of cool seeing that in a movie because something that really has such a, a cool um, you know origin of its celebrations and turning it into something as creepy as it is because all these people just they act so happy in the movie and they're like oh well it's it's a blessing to to be this old and to go out this way and to do the things that we do but ultimately it's not fucking okay it's still really fucked up and you know where the movie ends is i mean a lot of people like to say you go girl because she gets out of these toxic situations but at what cost well and and to me i love the interpretation that a lot of people have pointed out she goes from one toxic relationship to another which Mm -hmm. It, not to get too psychological with it, but really, it's like sadly that is what a, that is the the uh, the cycle and the loop that a lot of people get sucked into is just yeah. you go from one abusive situation and one toxic situation to another. And Ari Aster takes two and a half hours to tell us a lesson that a lot of us sadly have to learn the hard way. And I right. think for him to be able to tell this, weave this incredible story of religious trauma, toxic relationships, and the consequences of both and the re- harsh realities of both i think he you know as much as i love hereditary I, to me i i feel like i connect with midsummer more and i feel like it ultimately is in my opinion the better film see and i like that you say that too because it's really difficult for me to pick mm-hmm. i think the reason that i love midsummer more is because it does have all of these beautiful aspects of the midsummer festival right um you know but if you look up the stuff that's with hereditary, like um, <laughs> King Payman, mm, I mean, you know, it's a legitimate biblical demon. Um, so it's kind of like he took the dark aspect, like, and I hate this term, but like the, the black magic and the white magic shit. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like he took something because hereditary is such a dark movie and most of it's in the night and in the shadows. And then, you have all these dark demonic entities and markings everywhere um, and weird sacrificial shit going on. And then with Midsummer, it's all bright and beautiful and there's good food and there's good drinks and there's flower crowns. But then there's this really freaky undertone and there's nothing ever really religious about it. It's just like a weird cult mindset. Yeah. And the, the yeah, it's, everything you said i just i happily co-sign on it's it's there's no other way to to slice it it is it is a a great allegory and representation of these traumatic events on multiple sides of the coin Mm -hmm. and ari aster kudos to him you know he's got another movie again as of the recording of this uh episode he's got another film coming out disappointments boulevard Mm -hmm. starring joaquin phoenix and if the early uh, reports and news are anything to uh, to take into account. Uh, it's sure to just ramp up everything that Midsummer did. You know, like yeah. I said, he did Hereditary, came out of the gate hot. Midsummer built upon that, and it sounds like his next film is going to be even kookier, wackier, and um, just all out bonkers. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I can't wait. I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want to talk about a couple more weird uh, farmhouse, bizarre old people movies. Oh, bring it. Um, <laughs> the Taking of Deborah Logan. Oh, yeah. Taking of Deborah Logan. Highly underrated uh, uh, slow burn horror movie that I don't see talked about a lot. Probably one of the more underrated films on our list. Yeah, it's a uh, found footage film. Uh, starting as a documentary for uh, following around a woman with Alzheimer's. Um, and it has a really weird, dark undertone with a, su- not almost said suicidal, but a serial killer um, from the past. Yeah, it's it, it, a genius way to, genius spin on the um, uh, possession kind of movie uh, theme that we see in a lot of these uh, these slower burn horror movies do done like I said we've we've talked about some that delve into the religious aspects this one delves into more um, more of the supernatural elements instead of being possessed by a demon or a devil or anything like that is possessed by the spirit this woman is uh, potentially possessed by the spirit of somebody that was actually, or, you know, actually alive. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that spin on it. And it goes, not only is that unique about it, it goes places that a lot of these found footage <laughs> slow burn movies are have not gone. It, it no. takes the paranormal supernatural thing to a new extent. And my mm-hmm. God, again, through the guise of this story of a woman with dementia or Alzheimer's or some degenerative mental disease, um, ultimately we, we realize that's not what's going on. She is right. taken by something Far more evil. Far more evil, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the other one, which has got one of your favorite movie lines, The Visit. I love The Visit. The Visit, um, it's M. Night Shyamalan. It's funny thinking back because some of his movies were slow burn back in the 90s and early 2000s. But mm-hmm. only by comparison, you yeah. know, because like everything else at the time was very in your face, very loud, very colorful. Mm-hmm. And his movies had those elements, but were a little slower paced than what we were used to at the time. Yeah. This one, The Visit, is probably his truest slow burn horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he takes his time. He's very he's he, he's very careful with where he is taking the film and the plot and weirdly enough he throws some humor in there for yeah, some strange for reason. sure um and honestly you know you mentioned the humor the biggest thing that took me out and i won't say anything to spoil the post credit scene almost felt too light for everything that we witnessed in the last mm-hmm. 20 minutes mm-hmm. of the movie um but there is definitely in the beginning with these two kids uh staying at their grandparents house and meeting them for the first time and kind of reconnecting their family um you know two kids together on a weird farm when they're city kids, of course you're going to have some decent comedy in it, um, even with the old people. But it quickly goes dark and uncomfortable. And as with the taking of Deborah Logan and many of these other movies, um, there is nothing scarier to me in a horror movie than A, a little kid running through the house at night, like paranormal activity, or um, a naked old lady doing her shit in the middle of the night. Like X, the visit, taking of Deborah Logan, all scary ass old ladies. Yeah, yeah. The the visit might take the cake though, as far as like old ladies running around 
in the dark right and, like like we talked just about from the yeah. trailer you see mm-hmm. that that real quick clip of her like clawing at the door when he opens her yeah the door across the hall again it's a it's a it's it's visuals visuals yeah. because it's found footage mm-hmm. um because it is you know the the kids documenting their visit with their grandparents yeah so it's found footage and because of that it is again very visual and it tells the stories through these shots that you're watching you're like that didn't just happen and then you have then and, and the kids even watch it back and you're like whoa mm-hmm. wow that that did happen yeah. like m night Shyamalan says like i know you're thinking right now you didn't see that but i'm gonna I'm going to double down and show you, you did see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really cool thing that you actually have someone smart enough, I think with the found footage to kind of be like, uh, Hey, this is really fucking scary. And we don't like this. Can we go home now? Um, instead of trying to just like figure it out. Um, and it, you know, for the sake of not spoiling everything, it goes even worse towards the end. Um, but there's just some really terrifying scenes with these old people past the the taglines that you hear. And I think it was one of those trailers. I felt like I was worried I'd already seen a little bit too much or, you know, it wasn't going to be too scary, but it definitely does deliver a lot of shit, literally, um, that you just don't expect. It is, uh, quite unexpected. I I don't think there's, um, there's, there's a scene, especially towards the end where for this being a slow burn, and you're like, yeah, they're going to ramp it up here. They ramp it up in a direction that you would not expect, to say the least. Uh, yeah. The one scene comes out of complete left field, and that's one. It's so good. I know I've spoiled a lot here. I can't spoil that one. It is. No. You got to see it to believe it. You do. There's there's a good, like I said, a good 20 minutes of the movie where um, it just doesn't stop. And it gives some of the most uncomfortable movie scenes that we've ever had. Uncomfortable is... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Check. Yep. Check mark. Yeah. He's, um, he's you can tell he's bothered uh, by this. I can't. One, so I can't. It's, it, I, it's 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 awful to even think about. Yeah. Um, we're we're getting towards the end of the episode here. There's one more yeah. movie I want to touch upon. In my mm-hmm. opinion, probably my favorite slow burn horror movie of all time. Um, no disrespect to any of the others we've mentioned here before, but uh, 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Such a good movie. Yeah. I can't sit here and say it's the original slow burn horror movie, but it's probably the first slow burn horror movie I ever watched when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was like 10 years old when it came out, and it scarred me. Even though, as Jordan Peele famously said in a video I saw recently, nothing <laughs> fucking happens. Nothing fucking happens. Not to spoil it for anybody, but fucking nothing happens the whole movie. Yet. Everything happens. But nothing fucking happens. And believe me when I say that, and, like, and I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, I know I'm like contradicting myself. It's my favorite slow burn horror movie and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Because, I can't stress this enough, that's the fucking point. Right. Yeah. Uh, 100%. It, it, it kind of goes back to the paranormal activity vibes, even though obviously it came well before. Right. Um, you know, so I guess you could say paranormal activity took a page from the Blair Witch book. But... You get a lot of just sounds. You mean Book and of visuals. Shadows, Blair Witch Two? Yes, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two. We're not going to talk about that one. I mean, some people like it, yeah. but it's been a while for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the idea that you get a lot of these background sounds, like it's creepy when you hear laughter in the middle of the night in the woods when you shouldn't hear laughter. And I think that's why I love it so much because it's the perfect 
demonstration of what happens when you actually go out into the middle of the woods with your friends. How many times when we were kids did we play in the woods and we're like, did you hear that? Oh, oh my yeah. God, did you hear that? And nothing Absolutely. fucking was going yeah, on. You were just nothing. trying to scare each other. It's like you're in the woods. Um, it's the wilderness. There's fucking right. animals out right. there. Like, of course you're hearing shit. Like, you don't normally hear uh, nocturnal animals because you're a 10-year-old that's, like, playing out in the park during the mm-hmm. day. So when you hear an owl or a raccoon or a possum or any, you know, wherever you are in the mm-hmm. world, whatever your night creatures are, they sound weird and they sound scary and sticks are going to snap yep. and things are going to rustle. But this one takes those little childhood fears that we yeah. had when we were out in the middle of the woods camping yeah. and it turns them into a real fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, nope, 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 right. count me out. I'm out. I'm tapping out. I'm ready to go home. And it's brilliant. And it's funny that you say you saw it. You were much younger uh, than me when you saw it. I, I saw it when it first came out. I'll never forget. Brenda did it from Blockbuster, yo. Oh, man. Take a shot. We mentioned Blockbuster. My parents would have never. I saw that shit at a friend's house when I was 15. I grew up with irresponsible friends who had irresponsible <laughs> parents. So we, you know, I... we delved into that deep. I only had a little bit of that. I, think I also had an irresponsible <laughs> uncle who showed me the Sixth Sense and Stir of Echoes when I was too young for it. But I mean, honestly, if it had been uh, probably a bigger movie, I, and I hate to say that, but like it wasn't on TV the way some of the other Blair shit Witch. was. Oh, yeah, 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 for so sure. So I probably would have seen it when I was younger, but not necessarily, you know, especially I am a little older. But um, I think I was 15 when I saw mm-hmm. this, and I remember um, – my friend that I saw it with uh, would draw that little symbol on fucking everything. A little twig, little twig the shit little that twig they do. Shit, yeah. yeah. Um, I think everybody went through a phase where they drew that in a notebook oh, or yeah. you know sketched it or something. We're all like, I'm edgy. I'm edgy. No, I'm like 11, but I'm edgy. Yeah. Like, no, like I'm gonna go like, find the Blair Witch. Right. Like, no, like, gonna, I play I'm Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and <laughs> my my parents let me have the soundtrack on, so I'm pretty edgy for for 11. It is a. I'm 11, so shut the fuck one. up. Oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was, uh, Blair Witch was, is again, it is my favorite because like I said earlier, you can build and build and build. And if you mm-hmm. build well enough and this movie fucking does because yeah. the tension between the cast and the unsettling noises and the atmosphere that they mm-hmm. create, if the buildup is good enough, your payoff doesn't have to be shit. Even though right. the payoff, I admit, in my opinion, for the brief, right. brief moment we get the payoff, it's fucking worth it. And guess what? But it's it doesn't have to one. be because the buildup of this movie is excellent. It is. and But it's also another one where your mind fills in the blanks. And that's what's really fucking scary. And we've said from the beginning that is the one thing that is that's how you make a horror movie terrific in our mm-hmm. opinion is you just let the audience's imagination run wild because what we fill in the blanks with is going to be 10 times more terrifying than any mm-hmm. creature you can create, than any slasher you can bring to fruition uh, leaving it to the audience's imagination will terrify them 10 times more than anything you can make physically. And mm-hmm. I, again, I, ultimately, I think that's the message we're trying to send home with why we love slow burn horror movies so much is because it lets your imagination create a lot of the tension and fill in a lot of the the things that would be terrifying with your own little weird shit that you yeah. that you can that you can create while you're while you're waiting for the drama to unfold <laughs> no for a hundred percent and you know as you're talking about that it another one popped into my head that i actually hadn't written down but i also love for that similar reason is as above so below because although you get visuals in that movie mm-hmm. your your brain is still trying to kind of 
uh, prepare itself for what's around the next corner. It is. It's one of those. Movie. Yeah, it's one of those what's around the corner type movies. So, yeah, yeah and that's 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 a lot of what you'll see in a lot of these too. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, we have talked slowly about slow burn horror movies, yes, and um, we're gonna take our time talking about more in the future because there's ones yeah. I can already know. I can already tell you. You know, we're we've. We've we've only scratched the surface. There's more that yeah. we could talk about. We could go say, on about this for days. There's a couple I mentioned to talk about, but I think uh, we're going to get into a lot of part twos with yeah. a lot of these things <laughs> we're talking about in the early going. And slow burn horror is something yeah. that we have a deep fondness and admiration for, and we hope to talk about some of the, our other favorites with you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. The here, more you guys yeah. request it. Uh, the more we'll end up coming back and revisiting these. Because I know, and I love hearing the obscure movies that people love that I've never seen. And, you know, that's ultimately what we really want to do is we just want to share our love of horror with you guys. Right. And And you're welcome to share your love of horror with us. You know, find us on TikTok at HorrorzoidPod. Email us, HorrorzoidPod at gmail.com. And now, now you can go to HorrorZoid.com. And find anything you want to reach out to us. Yeah. Horrorzoid.com. Horrorzoid.com. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You heard it here first. And on that note, we're going to leave you with this. Why are you doing this? Because you are home. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every weekend. Follow us on TikTok at HorrorzoidPod and send emails to HorrorzoidPod at gmail.com with your thoughts, questions, and stories for us to read on a future episode. To all our Zoids out there, stay scary.